Hello and welcome to the Jewish Mother Me podcast. This is the podcast that ponders Jewish mothers should every home have one. We're here to celebrate all the interesting, fun, uplifting, slightly bonkers things about the Jewish mother. I wonder if everybody could have a little bit of Jewish mothering in their life. My name's Angela Epstein. I'm Lynn Dover. And today we have an absent chair because our third podcaster, Noemi, is uh, what's she out taking in washing or doing her paper round? We're Could not be. sure. <laughs> but we're very <laughs> delighted that her chair has been filled by somebody who I have to say is possibly not a Jewish mother, but has very much been Jewish mothered. We're delighted to welcome Ivan Lewis. Hello, Ivan. Hi, good to be here. Thank you. It's good to have you. Um, Ivan is the former Shadow Secretary of State for Northern Ireland, British politician who spent years in Parliament and is now the Chief Executive of the Focus Foundation, uh, which provides supportive living for people with learning and physical disabilities. So welcome to Jewish Mother Jewish mothers. If I said to you Jewish mothers, what do you think of? I think of probably the most important influence in most of our lives. The person that most shapes us, influences, gives us many of the values that we still have for many of us as adults to this day. I think of security and love, of course. So tell us about your Jewish mum. Well, my mum was unique in many ways. We put, when she passed away, her smile lit up every room. She came from a very, very tough background. Her father died when she was three months old, was killed in the Second World War. Her mother had very serious mental health problems uh, and she grew up in a very, very challenging household. And I think uh, as you get older and you reflect on how she was as a mum and what she, she did for me and for our family, in a way she was a miracle because she survived the most traumatic childhood of, of her own and come through tremendous trauma and pain. And despite that, she was a remarkable, very, very popular person in the community. She was very well known at the Halifax Building Society where she worked. She was one of the main characters in the Pennine Wayfarers. But, you know, when you look back, I think that she was remarkable, and more remarkable than I realised in a way at the time, because for her to have overcome the challenges that she had to overcome, to become that person, to become that mother, was much harder than for many others, if I'm honest. And I don't think you get that as a child. It, it took me uh, many years to kind of reflect on that. And in a way, I regret I didn't realise that at a younger age. And so do you think that trauma affected how she cared for you as a child? I think inevitably. I think we all know that experiences of all kinds, positive and ne negative, pass from one generation to the next, which is why being a parent is so important. It's the most important thing that I've ever done in my life, you know, without any doubt. And uh, we don't always get it uh, right. But yeah, I mean, absolutely. But I think because of her experiences, because of the challenges she faced, she did a, you know, a, a wonderful job being mum to me and my sister. At the time, I don't think we appreciated that, the, the, the odds that she had to overcome, the obstacles that she'd overcome, which, which stayed with her, you know, to be frank, throughout her life. Are you able to tell us a little bit about what those involved? Her father died when she was three months old. Her mother uh, had mental illness for the whole of my mother's life, and probably oh in those days, um, by the way, they, they didn't really know often what mental illness uh, was. Um, my, um, my grandmother's partner after... Uh, my grandfather who, who was killed he was also killed in the second world war oh later goodness. on in the war oh, uh, and then unfortunately um, my grandma married an abusive man and my my mum had to grow up 
in that environment. So it's little wonder that my grandma's mental illness um, was as it was, if you think about those traumas for her. So her husband, the father of her three-month-old child killed in the Second World War, the man that she wanted to be with after that, killed later on in the war, never came back. He said he would come back and bring up my mum as though she was his own daughter, and then ended up in an abusive relationship. So, and she still managed to bring you and his sister. And she still up. managed to do all of that. Amazing. And at the time, you don't realise how special that is because of what she had to deal with and what she had to cope with. And some people and, never realise how special that is either. It's amazing that you have managed to... I mean, that sounds... I'm not wanting to, want to sound patronising, no. but you've actually reflected on it and can appreciate where she's coming from. One of your priorities is um, looking after people who are disadvantaged, disabled, elderly and have more challenges in mm. life than most people. Do you think that that has come from your mothering or your experience of well, mothering, I think being so. mothered? I think partially. I mean, the irony is that um, you asked me some time ago whether my mum was involved in the fact that I'd made these sort of vocational choices. And the truth is that actually my mum is the reason because she started doing voluntary work um, for an, a local Jewish organisation called Outreach. She was volunteering as well. Yeah. Was looking well, she, she was looking at having all these challenges. Yeah, in the, wow. in the 1980s. Can we give her a name? And what, Gloria, yeah, Gloria. Gloria. And so, so she was doing that in the 1980s. Now, Outreach, a lot of people don't realise this. Outreach was doing amazing work with people with learning disabilities, way ahead of many other organisations, not just in the Jewish community, but the wider community, in terms of treating people with dignity and respect, supporting them to become more independent, even though they had these labels of mental handicap in, in those days. And so this became a very big part of her life. This happened after my parents split up, which was also a very challenging period. She asked me, did I want to get involved in this at the age of 13 or 14? And I... Uh, obviously, you know, you think at that age, could I do this? Is this for me? Do I really want to be doing this? And I decided I wanted to give it a go. So the first thing I did, I started going on a couple of the play schemes that they organised during the school holidays. Uh, and then I started working not only with kids, but with adults with learning disabilities. And then when I got to sort of 16, 17, that's all I wanted to do with the rest of my life, which is why much of my parents' horror, of course, having it really worked hard to put me through a private education, which I always sort of say to my dad, but you're a rabid socialist. So he always says, well, I wanted my best, you know, I wanted the best for you. <laughs> That's very honest uh, I wanted, of you. I wanted, uh, you know, I wanted the best for you. Well, no, no, my dad, I mean, no, but, you, but I think you've got to respect that. And my dad had no education, yeah. you know, and he wanted uh, the best for me and he thought that was the best way to do it. But they obviously, then you're expected, you know, uh, to you, become an accountant. To, uh, to be doctor, an accountant, get lawyer. a proper job. My, my dad often says you've still never had a proper job and been a <laughs> member of parliament for 22 years. But the, but, but the point oh. is, if I wouldn't have gone and done that voluntary work at that age, which then took over my life, and it's what I wanted to do, and I had to fight to do that, to say to people around me who said you must go to university, you must get a proper job, and yes. said no. I set up then a charity of my at the age of 19, supporting people with learning disabilities after outreach. What was that called? Contact Community Care. But the, the point I'm making is that if my mum hadn't have got me involved in that and given me that opportunity, I wouldn't have done that kind of work. And then, to be honest, I, I almost certainly wouldn't have got into politics. I mean, what politicised me was being working with vulnerable people, seeing the bad deal that they often got and their families got from the system... Uh, and that made me very determined to do something about it. And for me, politics was an extension of that, making a difference on behalf of those people. So, and you started, and, you start, you became a councillor with um, a young councillor in Presswich, yeah. And then, and then that evolved into standing Park, for Parliament. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And um, when did your mum pass away? By the way, uh, she passed away 14 years ago. And I always say to people, it's absolutely the worst thing 
that's ever happened to me. I mean, lots of things have happened to all of us in our lives, but it was the worst thing that ever happened to me. No exaggeration. And I tell a, st- a political story, but it's not po- political about a- an individual. I was sat near the Speaker's chair in the House of Commons, and the Speaker at the time was a Scottish guy. who was got a lot of stick, actually, a guy called Michael Martin. And he summoned me to the chair, and he said, Ivan, I've heard that your mum died, which I, I was amazed that he even knew my mother had died. And he said, I just want you to know, you're going to... I've been through this. You're going to be angry. You're going to be sad. You're going to be numb. You're going to be all over the place with your emotions over the next six months a year. And he was right. Now, wasn't that an amazing thing, by the way? You know, again, you see people who are criticised in the media, you know, have an image, whatever. I thought that was such a lovely thing because when these things happen to you, you then realise it's kind of semi-normal. And I think you realise that we're all... There's a core set of human emotions and values that whatever political leaning you have... Absolutely. We're all the same underneath. Absolutely. Where were you up to in your political career 14 years ago? Where, Uh, Where were you? I was, ironically the Minister for Health. So um, Tony Blair ran me and said, Ivan, I would like you to go to the Department of Health and become the Minister for Social Care. And I said at the time, do you I did social care for my whole life before I went into politics, Tony? And he said, actually, I, mean, I didn't realise that at all, which reinforces the notion that nobody gets a job they know anything about normally uh, in politics. The civil servants were horrified when I walked in there, actually knowing something about yeah, social care. That's an entirely different story. So I was at that stage, I was, yeah, I was a health minister. And, um, and how old was your mum when she passed away? 64. She was far too young. Was she was it very sudden. Was it a sudden? Or uh, she had uh, the roller coaster, which many of your listeners will know about. About, which is cancer and when I say roller coaster you you think the person you love is going to get better is getting better is improving for a period or I did anyway uh, and then deteriorated again then improved and then a quite a rapid decline and toward, toward, towards but she must in. have been immensely proud when you were first elected as an MP my son the politician I mean you know we joke on this podcast my son the doctor my son the lawyer there's all these cliches but to say my son is a member of parliament. My son, I mean, I don't know if your ancestors were second generation, first generation, where they came from Eastern Europe. Third. Okay. But at one point, your ancestry will have come to this country possibly for sanctuary, for a new life. And here you are, a member of Her Majesty's government. Mm. What was your mum's reaction when you were first elected? I think it was a very emotional experience. I think it, it, it was all of those things. I think it's the chance also I was representing our own collectively when I say that community you know whether the Jewish community in North Manchester or the wider community and it was a very special experience and also you know we you know me and my family come from a very ordinary background. So you've got two boys Ivan during your parliamentary career you wouldn't have spent a great deal of time in Manchester you'd have been up and down the uh, the M1 or, or on that London train often how did that affect your parenting of your kids? Because some Jewish men are also Jewish mothers in, in yeah. some ways as well, overprotective, the, 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 overnurturing. The, 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 the truth is that me and my sons have the most amazing relationship. But the reality was that, of course, my ex-wife was there 24-7 and I have to say was and is the most incredible mother. So those kids had a level of security and stability in the context of both the job I did and the fact that, unfortunately, we split up. They had the most, because of their mum, they had this most amazingly secure and stable upbringing. She was a professional woman and a very successful professional woman, but once the children came along, she made the choice to put them first, second and third. And uh, because of that, uh, they have turned out to be, I believe, they've turned out to be boys that we're we're both incredibly proud of. Did you miss out 
on, yeah, on looking after them. And do they feel they missed out or they are they okay with it all now? Uh, I think we're all okay with it now. Um, I think that the advantage I had over many of my contemporaries was that I went to Parliament when they were babies. They knew no different. They knew okay. nothing else. Some of my colleagues who went to Parliament when their kids were teenagers, or early teens particularly, the kids thought that they were rejecting them, and there were all sorts of problems and issues. So it was slightly different. But I don't think they missed me. I think we had those uh, later on. We had those kind of conversations. Are either of them f going to follow you? into politics no or a life of public service even which is what uh, you do I, I don't know I think um, no idea I think one of them they're both in real estate <laughs> again my dad's thrilled as a lifelong so there was why my dad up so um, your father's still alive uh, yeah my dad's okay. still alive how old is he now my dad is now uh, 81 years of age we often talk about on this podcast about just and this is the Jewish mothering bit we often talk about what people can take as their takeaway wisdom from the things that they've learned not from us uh, we're, we're still learning aren't we Lynn mm. but, but from we've learned from the, the great strong matriarchs that came before yes. us. Were there any moments in your political career when you just thought, I can hear mum in my ear, or there were moments when you thought, I need to ask her something, or just you really felt the imprint of the of the influence? Obviously, you've talked about the fact she was seminal in, in you becoming interested in helping the vulnerable and, and challenged in our society. But were there any particular moments um, when you really sort of yeah, felt I think, that? Yeah, I think my mum probably you know, on occasions, was the only person in the entire world who I could really speak to. She also didn't need me to speak to her sometimes to know what was going on inside, you know, what I was really thinking. She mm. had this amazing... She was very, very perceptive about what I was, how I was feeling. So if you think I about didn't... some of the, the punishing political moments, I mean, you were Shadow Northern Ireland Secretary, You've, you had all sorts of portfolios. Yeah, I was 14 years on the front bench, nine years a minister. Yeah, I mean, I had an amazing set of experiences, which I'm very grateful that people gave me that opportunity. What were the particular high points where you thought either, I'm glad I could share this with mum, or perhaps she, she had passed away and you, you couldn't share that with her? I think, as I've said, I think the main thing is, you know, being elected to represent your hometown community, and I say that in the broader sense, the, the whole community of Presswich and Wyford, where I'd grown up, was always a remarkable experience. And, of course, a lot of the people over the years I came across at different events, a lot of the people I helped, a lot of the people I knew, knew my mum. And it's actually interesting that in lots of strange places I found people coming up to me and saying... Your mum was Gloria. She was such a lovely lady. That was said in the most unlikely of places sometimes by people who I didn't realise would have any connection with my mother at all. Yeah. And um, did you find after she died you discovered more things about her from other oh, people, I, I think, people with, from their stories? Yeah, afterwards. I think a lot. I, I, I know that she... That I think I realised even more how much she, how, how she, she was, how much she was thought of. You know, people, did you people have, loved her. Did you have the traditional Jewish... Candles on Friday night and chicken soup upbringing. Um, I, we didn't have a religious upbringing uh, at all, but I do th remember having n l lovely Friday nights. Yeah, that that was kind of the one thing that we we did. We had special Friday nights. What what would make a special Friday night for you? Well, it's uh, very much about family. Yeah, uh, it's about closest friends. Soup. It's about the chicken soup. Soup. Uh, it's yeah. about whiskey, in yeah. my case. Yeah. But for the first time in my life recently, I've started hosting people for Friday. Now, that's quite... Ah, now, so, so tell us. How do you make your chicken soup? No, I don't, I don't make anything. I heat everything up. Oh, okay. Nothing oh, okay. is made. But it's still a novel 
sort of experience for me. We've discussed on previous podcasts about things like Friday night dinner, why every home might benefit from one, nothing to do with your age, oh, your gender, yeah, your yeah. your religious yeah. inclination, just the concept of Friday night dinner. Yeah. Was that a lodestone for you when you were in Parliament coming back on a Friday afternoon and having that? Yeah, very much so. You know, looking forward to that and, 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 and that being, as I say, the thing that centres anchors us, centres us. I think, look, I'm more religious than I was. You know, I've become much more religious over the last three or four years. So Shabbos as a whole, Shabbat as a whole, yeah, is Jewish a remarkable Sabbath. experience. Yeah. And this, you know, this thing that at, um, it gets dark on a Friday, you turn your phone off, you don't get in your car, you don't watch television, you're just entirely chill. A lot of fellow Jewish people see this as full of restrictions and constraints. Uh, and burdens uh, it's actually the most freeing tremendous experience i mean it happens to be a spiritual experience to some extent if if you ha if you're that way inclined but it's the most um it relaxing it really experience is. it's very important that you spend it with people that you want to be around as well you know whether that's your family members uh, people that you love uh, whether it's close friends that you feel you can entirely relax with because i think that's very important as very well important. Uh, it, very it, it's important a, it's a, yeah it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful experience friday night and, and sitting around a table just being able to talk to people without the other distractions i think is, yeah it's, is it's, it's and as i say it you meet you see i i always say to people who are not as religious as I am now, that the, the wonderful people I've met as a consequence of becoming more religious, the different network I have now, it doesn't mean that I've left other people behind, by the way, but I have a new network of people. It, it, it's a very warm, friendly, non-judgmental, you know, a lot of people have this thing about you go Friday night and you be very careful what you do and you say if you're not religious and all the rest of it. A lot of people I know are religious, very non-judgmental, are only happy to host people who are not religious, to give them the experience and to open it up to a wider yeah. audience. Yeah, or I just follow the food. Certainly my colleague, <laughs> a very old friend here, Lindover, she just has to, you know, she says Friday night, I am there. I, just, I come around about Wednesday sweet. ready. And, you know, you, can you talk about, we talk about lots of things, don't we, on a it's Friday night? definitely. Political debates across the table All yeah. kids, and I what? think it's where they've got their sort of conversational education a lot of the sure. time. What motivated you to become more religious? Oh, it was, it was a gradual process. I started to try and keep Shabbat, and I started to enjoy that experience. And it, it went from there, really. I, I'll tell you a story that not many people know. So after three weeks of keeping Shabbat, where you're not allowed to drive, I got I was so bored that I couldn't do it anymore. So I jumped in my car, and I drove up a side street, and I saw a rabbi I knew. And I reversed immediately. Then I drove up a second side street, <laughs> I and I that. saw an entirely different rabbi on you. And I got the message: it was time to yeah, go home. Somebody's watching. Put the car, put the car in the oh, car park, and else. never, and never, and never drive again on a, on, a, on a Shabbos. And I have never driven again uh, ah, since that day. Uh, then I think I think I, the way I put, would put it to you is: if you take medicine and you keep feeling better and better as a consequence of the medicine, you tend to keep taking the medicine. So for Jewish, me, Judaism has been a me good medicine. It's, it's made me feel yeah. a lot better as a person in yeah. every respect. Yeah. In every respect. Coming back to politics, when you were in Parliament, how was you being Jewish with Jeremy Corbyn sort of around? And was that particularly challenging? And has that me meant that you has crystallised your Jewish persona and identity more? I think it's ironic you ask that question because there's no doubt that the upside of Jeremy Corbyn was he united the Jewish community yeah. and brought us all together. He not, also caused... Not what he want, had in mind. That wasn't his time. objective. No. 
also, of course, people did. You're quite right. I mean, Margaret Hodge said that Jeremy Corbyn made me Jewish again. You know, somebody who had not been at all really very involved in the Jewish community felt that she wanted to stand up and be counted. And her identity as a result of that grew stronger and stronger. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it was a shocking time. And what I think a lot of people locally don't understand about politics is that you see all the stuff in Parliament. You see all the headlines, the journalists who are all wonderful, Andrew, of course. What you don't see is the extended family, which is the local Labour Party. I grew up with those people. They knocked on doors for me. They stuffed envelopes for me. They were my friends in the good times and the bad times. And Jeremy Corbyn caused me to walk away from them and caused me to tell people at the last general election to vote Conservative. You may remember that. Yes. So that's the bit that, you know, in a way, the, the, the party I loved because the Labour Party gave me so many opportunities that I could never have dreamt of coming from the ordinary background that I said. I also believe in social justice and I believe the Labour Party at its best has been the best expression of social justice in our society politically. He ruptured that relationship. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he, he made us choose, not just me, Louise, Luciana, between our identity and our politics. And you know what? Louise Alman and Luciana Burke. Yeah, I'm proud that we made the right choice. I'm still traumatised by the fact that we, we were put in a position where we had, had to make that choice. It became absolutely crystal clear that, that this man and his followers were a threat to our community and that our primary responsibility was to stand up to him. Uh, and, and I say, to, for me to tell people to vote, because it was one thing going, I, I went independent, I left the Labour Party. For me to tell people to vote Conservative. Yeah, that must have really right, but, but, it, but it was the right yeah. thing to do. And a lot of friends of mine subsequently say, Ivan, you know, we're, we're still your friends, but really, you, surely you, you want to apologise. No, I don't have any regrets about it. But you, it's interesting that you say, you, you talk about the loss of your mum, which was the great trauma yeah, of your life. The, wor the worst thing that ever happened to the me. The worst thing that ever happened to you. In your professional life, you had this immense trauma which yeah. we couldn't have foreseen. Anti-Semitism has, has been around for, of course. For, for, for thousands of years, but we couldn't ever perceive that this would happen here and now. When you were in your darkest moments through the Corbyn times, did you ever think, I wish mum was here, or, or what do you think she would have made of what you were going through because of your religion? Because even though you were from a, a sort of traditional rather than observant background, your Jewishness is still manifestly oh, yeah, there. What, what do you think she would have thought to this? And well, she, she, of course, also had very, you know, strong political views, though she was never involved in politics. She would have been horrified, absolutely mortified. And I know that she would have supported the choice that I and others made. And, you know, others had it far worse. And you're talking about Jewish mothers, the women in terms of the abuse, the, 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 the bullying, the threats. Luciana and Louise had it far worse than me in terms of social media and in, and in their own local mm. uh, Labour parties. You know, I didn't have it anywhere near as bad as they did. But, yeah, it was, um, I guess, I thought the worst thing that ever happened to me was losing my mum. Again, it, your listeners might laugh when I say it was a massive loss losing the Labour Party. I'm sure. Uh, because it for totally them, it's just a political, you know, oh, well, political parties, they're all the same and they're all as bad as each other. And the, But it, it, it was, yeah, you, you suddenly ripped apart from... What many people, not many, some people who were very close friends and this sense of an extended uh, family. Well, it's interesting you say about the extended family. Uh, setting aside, obviously, the, the Jewish connection or the so-called Judah that we sometimes talk about when you can yeah. just tell when somebody is yeah, Jewish. Yeah. 
did you ever sort of share, you know, just it's an obvious thing for Jewish parents, for example, or grandparents to talk about their kids, their family life. Did you have those kind of relationships with the likes of the other Jewish MPs from any side? You know, was the, did the Jewishness bring you together? I think there were times when we felt under threat or felt besieged where there was definitely a coming together. But I meant in a positive way, you know, just the fact that for people who aren't Jewish often sort of say, how do you know her or him and how come you know uh, their second cousin? Was there any of that going on? Yeah, there was a bit of that. I mean, <laughs> Louise Elman particularly is a remarkable woman. I mean, her courage throughout her time in Parliament, you know, she hardly had any Jews in her constituency, to be honest. So she wasn't doing it for political reasons. She stood up day after day after day for Israel when Israel was being constantly attacked unfairly, long before Corbyn came on the scene. So I always regarded her as somebody that I felt an affinity to because there was... In a abs- Jewish mother sort yeah, of role? Um, in no a Jewish mother sort of role, in a, in, 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 a, in a role model, yeah. in, that, in that respect, a yeah. real role model. This is a woman who, uh, as I say, um, never, ever hid and always spoke out. And she, you know, probably she's almost certainly paid a price for that in terms of her own career. So post-politics, Ivan, you're devoting your focus now to this charity. Can you tell us briefly what you're hoping to achieve through your work as the chief executive? Yeah, I mean, we are setting up an organisation to ensure that people with learning disabilities, people with physical disabilities, have the best possible quality of life. Some will live in their own homes, some will live with other people, depending on their choices, some will continue to live uh, with mum and dad. But it's about saying that whether it's coping, the coping skills you need to live domestically successfully, um, whether it's having a job or a training opportunity, whether it's having a great social and leisure life, uh, and of course there are brilliant organisations in our community like the Friendship Circle and others that do a brilliant job in that space, as well. It's looking at all aspects of somebody's life and giving them the chance to fulfil their team? potential and express their identity. Do you have a big team? In yeah, we have a great team of people. So Johnny Manson's very involved, who will be known to some of your listeners, Will Kintish, Lindsay Kay Kushner, former uh, judge. We have a number of parents of people with disabilities involved in our organisation and we'll also obviously have a we, we're in at the development stage at the moment we're hoping to start supporting people from October we'll also have a, a team of support and care workers so if any of your listeners wishes to be a, a, a care worker or a support worker but they have to be based in, in the Manchester area yeah North, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's a Manchester based charity it is thanks so much Ivan for your time today I mean we've really enjoyed listening to you and a, a deeply deeply moving story of your your family background which many people won't have appreciated or understood and it really, really sort of underpins all the all the remarkable work you've done in social justice and social care and, and helping vulnerable members of society. And often at the end of the podcast, we talk about takeaway wisdom, don't we, Lynn? We talk about the things we've learned from mothers, grandmothers, other strong Jewish women that came before us. Anything in particular you want to sort of dish out as the takeaway wisdom that might be an uplifting message to anybody listening? I think my grandma, eat your soup, was the drink your soup. <laughs> Not, it wouldn't be eat your soup, would it? I think it was drink your soup was probably the one that my, uh, oh, okay. my that, grandma. Yeah, OK, because my mum used to say, make your mess where you've had your beer. In other words, okay. that's yeah. where you, if that's where you messed up, then, you know, do it. You, you sort it out. Do it where you where you make the mess. Um, well, what can we say? It's been an absolute pleasure having you with us today, Ivan. Um, you've been brutally honest and I've been fascinated listening to you, you as well. Yeah, Thank and you. a whole different side to us that we didn't know. You were just a leaflet on my notice board. <laughs> <laughs> Many thanks for listening to this latest edition of Jewish Mother Me. We'll be back soon, but for now, goodbye. Thank you again, Ivan Lewis. It's been great being with you. Thank you very much. And thank you very much, Ivan and Angela from Lynn. Yeah, see you soon. Bye. <laughs>